So this the morning our reading is 2 Kings 18, 19 and 20. But it's quite a long read, so I'm going to break it up a little bit, read a bit now, and then pray in light of what it says. And then we'll pick it up for the rest of our reading after our next song. So just as a bit of a uh, context, last week we saw the northern kingdom, Israel, had fallen. Um, And now we're reduced to just the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. So things get a lot simpler um, because we're following one kingdom and one king. And today's reading is going to cover the life and works of Hezekiah, who is the king of Judah. And so it begins with this. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 25 years, 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah, and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it, It was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from Watchtower to Fortified City. In the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmanasseh, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, he took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. The king of Assyria carried the Israelites away to Assyria and put them in Hala and on the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant, even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. They neither listened nor obeyed. In the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I've done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. And the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, three hundred talents of silver and thirty talents of gold. Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorpost that Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rabsaris, and the Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to king Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they arrived, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is on the halfway to the washer's field. And when they called for the king, there came out to them Eliakim, 
the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shabna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. And the Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you've rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting now in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses. If you're able on your part to set riders on them, how then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Then Iliakam, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebna and Joah said to Rabbi Shikar, please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But the Rabbi Shikar said to them, has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you, and not to the men sitting on the wall, who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and to drink their own urine. Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. And this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me and come out to me, that each one of you will eat of his own vine, and one of, each one of his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, and like your own land, a land, uh, a land of bread and vineyards a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hammer and Arpad? Where are the gods of Shepharam, Hena and Ivar? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hands? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? But the people were silent and answered him not a word, for the king's command was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna the secretary, and Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him, the words of Rabbi We're going to pick up our reading from 2 Kings 19. And it says this. 
As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and the senior priests, covered with sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. They said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there's no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God, and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he shall hear a rumour and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. Then Rabshakeh returned, and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he heard that the king had left Lachish. Now the king heard concerning Tirhakar, king of Cush. Behold, he has set out to fight against you. So he sent messengers again to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Rezef, and the people of Eden, who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Shavaram, the king of Hena, or the king of Ivar? Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers, and read it, and Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You've made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, went to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you've mocked the Lord and you have said, 
With my many chariots, I have gone up the heights of the mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon. I felled its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses. I entered its farthest lodging place, its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank foreign waters, and I dried up with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass, that you should turn fortified cities into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants shorn of strength are dismayed and confounded, and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops, blighted before it is grown. But I know you're sitting down and you're going out and coming in, and you're raging against me, because you've raged against me, and your complacency has come into my ears. I will put my hook in your nose, my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. And this shall be the sign for you. This year, eat what grows of itself, and in the second year, what springs of the same. Then in the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downwards, and bear fruit upwards. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord will do this. Therefore thus says the Lord, concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city, or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return. And shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And he was worshipping in the house of Nishroch, his god, Adramalak, and Sherazar. His sons struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. And Isahadan, his son, reigned in his place. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I've walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and have done what's good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, Behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add fifteen years to your life. I will deliver you in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I'll defend this city for my own sake, and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Bring a cake of figs, and let them take and lay it on the boil, that he may recover. And Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me? And I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day. And Isaiah said, This shall be the sign. 
to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps, or go back ten steps? And Hezekiah answered, It's an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen ten steps. Rather, let the shadow go back ten steps. And Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back ten steps, by which it had gone down on the steps of Ahaz. At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah welcomed them, and he showed them all his treasure houses, the silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory, all that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They've come from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah answered, They have seen all that is in my house. There is nothing in my storehouses that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who shall be born to you shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you've, not, that you've spoken is good. For he thought, Why not, if there will be peace and security in my days? The rest of the deeds of Hezekiah and all his might, and how he made the pool and the conduit, and brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. Well, in a minute we're going to have a look at that passage, but before we do, just a few things to mention. The first is question time. So as soon as we finish the sermon, I'll open it up for questions. We normally get a chance to ask two or three questions, depending on how long it takes me to answer them. But I want you to know it's coming so you can be thinking that question time's here and thinking about what you might want to answer. The second thing is to mention is there's a sermon outline. That's in your service sheet and you can use it or ignore it at your will. If it's helpful, obviously make use of it. If not, don't worry about it. And then finally and most importantly, we're going to ask God to help us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this remarkable account of your servant Hezekiah. We pray, Lord, as we reflect on this, that we might think about the things that we learn about you and your character and your trustworthiness as we reflect on this passage. We pray, Lord, that we would appreciate that you are the creator, the redeemer, you deliver your people and you determine the steps of all people. Therefore, you are worthy of our trust. Amen. Well, if you've been finding two kings hard going with all the different kings, and if you've been disorientated with these two different kings running parable, parallel and not knowing which one we're in, well, things have all of a sudden got a whole lot simpler because Israel has fallen. 
This means the remainder of the book of two kings will focus in on Judah. And it means there's only one kingdom and there's only one king. And chapters 18 to 20 focuses in on the one king, Hezekiah. So it should make everything nice and simple. Hezekiah is an exemplary king. In fact, there was none better than him. Many of the kings of Judah that were on the better side were good, but not great. Take Jotham as an example. If you just look back at 2 Kings 15, verse 34. 2 Kings 15, verse 34. And he, Jotham, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Uzziah had done. Nevertheless, the high places were not removed. The people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. He built the upper gate of the house of the Lord. So Jotham was a good king. He walked in David's ways, but he didn't take down the high places. But Hezekiah is different. Have a look at 18 verse 4. Let's go back to verse 3. 18 verse 3. And he, Hezekiah, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. Notice that he even destroyed the bronze serpent. The bronze serpent is something that was actually prescribed by the Lord. It features in Numbers 21. The people in the wilderness grumbled against God. So God sent serpents into the camp. Anyone who was bit would die. The people repented. So God told Moses to make this bronze serpent. Then if anyone was bitten, if they looked at the serpent, they would be healed. But by this time, the serpent had become an idol to the people. So notice what's happening here. Something good prescribed by God had been turned into an idol by the people. And so Hezekiah destroyed it. There was no king like Hezekiah. He was unrivaled in his obedience to God. The Lord was with him and he rebelled against the king of Assyria, as verse 7 says. Now, it's in, at this point, there's a small or short interlude. And the author reminds us of Hoshea, the king of Israel. Hoshea, we looked at last week, he was the last king of Israel and he also rebelled against the king of Assyria. And as a consequence of his rebellion, Assyria went on to defeat Israel and take the people captive. 
So it appears that Hezekiah is quite similar to Hoshea. Or is he? Will Hezekiah experience the same downfall as Hoshea, given they both rebelled against Assyria? Well, that's where the difference comes in. The difference is where the two kings place their trust. Hoshea placed his trust in Egypt, whereas Hezekiah placed his trust in the Lord. Now, the thing about authentic trust is really it has to be played out over time. What this means is, if the problem goes away immediately, well, the trust never really needed to be that strong. But if trust has to be maintained over a long period of time, well, then that trust proves to be genuine. It has remained steadfast, and it hasn't shaken when doubt had the potential to undermine it. And it's this sort of trust that we see in the account of Hezekiah. Having rebelled, the king of Assyria attacks the cities of Judah. Hezekiah attempts to appease the king of Assyria, but it fails. And then in verse 19, this representative of the king of Assyria asks Hezekiah a pertinent question. On what do you rest this trust of yours? The question is intended to undermine any source of trust that Hezekiah may have. Is Hezekiah's trust in Egypt? Well, the representative dismisses that because Egypt is unreliable. What about the Lord? At this point, the representative highlights the reforms that Hezekiah has brought to the land of Judah, remarking that God won't be happy now all his altars have been torn down. The representative makes fun of Hezekiah. Even if we supplied you with the horses to fight us, you wouldn't have the men to ride them. And finally, the representative explains how the king of Assyria is doing the Lord's bidding. He comes to take the land of Judah under the instruction of the Lord. And then despite the protest of Hezekiah's officials, now the representative speaks directly to the people. He makes an impassioned plea that the people not listen to Hezekiah and trust the Lord to deliver them, but offers them favourable terms to surrender. No gods of the other lands have delivered their people, so there's no reason to believe the Lord will deliver Jerusalem. After tearing his clothes, Hezekiah speaks to Isaiah, who assures him that the king of Syria will not prevail, he will return to the land. However, this won't happen imminently. 
Once again, Hezekiah and the people must continue to trust God over a prolonged period of time. And yet again, another message comes to Hezekiah. We read that message in 19, and we'll pick it up from verse, chapter 19, we'll pick it up from verse 10. Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. Shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them? The nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Resaph, and the people of Eden, who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Shevaram, the king of Hena, or the king of Ivar? Now, upon reading the letter... Hezekiah prays to God, and you can see that in the next section. The first thing he does is he acknowledges God is the creator. He also laments at the words that the king has used against God and asks him to hear the words that have been used to mock the living God. Hezekiah appreciates that the king of Syria has laid waste many lands. He has destroyed many gods. But he recognizes that this is because the gods he's destroyed are not gods, but made by men out of wood and out of stone. And then Hezekiah asks for deliverance for the sake of God's reputation for the sake of his name, so that all the nations may know that you are the Lord God alone. And then we have Isaiah's response, in which he begins and asks the rhetorical question, who have you mocked? Having briefly outlined all the triumphs that the king of Assyria has achieved, God undermines them immediately by explaining that long ago, it was God who determined every action the king of Assyria would take. Every step that the king of Assyria has taken was already planned by God in the days of old. There's nothing the king does that God doesn't know about. And now God will continue to steer the king of Assyria in the direction he wishes him to go. God strikes down 185,000 men from the camp of Assyria and the king returns home to be killed by his sons. Hezekiah trusted God <coughs> to deliver the people and he trusted God for a prolonged period of time. He continued to trust God even though deliverance was delayed. And his trust was justified because God is the creator who determines the steps of his creation and delivers his people. 
Hezekiah's story ends in chapter 20. He's suffering from a fatal illness. Isaiah tells him he's about to die. And it's then that Hezekiah prays for his life. God hears his prayer and gives him 15 years. Hezekiah was a remarkable king, unrivaled by any of the other kings in Judah. But in those extra 15 years, pride got the better of him. When a Babylonian envoy came, he showed them all the riches in his realm, to which Isaiah responded in chapter 20, verse 16. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and in which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who shall be born to you shall be taken away. They shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you've spoken is good, for he thought, Why not? if there will be peace and security in my days. Now as we finish this morning, I want to spend a moment reflecting upon this. And I want to ask the question, would it have been so bad had Hezekiah died when he was told he would? Had he died earlier rather than later, his integrity would have been maintained. Now, if you've read Don Carson's How Long, O Lord, you may be familiar with his comment on this passage. He explains how there are worse things than death. He says this, I would rather die than end up unfaithful to my wife. I would rather die than deny by... uh, Sorry. I would rather die than deny by a prolific life that I have taught in my books. I would rather die than deny or disown the gospel. God knows there are many things in my past of which I am deeply ashamed. I would not want such shame to multiply and bring dishonor to Christ in years to come. There are worse things than dying. A prolonged life leads to the potential to falter in one's trust. Which does expose the challenge of long life. Long life brings with it the need to trust God for a prolonged period of time. And we do hear of those who have committed to Christ... And like Carson, have taught many people the truth of the gospel, but end up compromised, and in all appearances, in their behaviour, seem to undermine what they've taught. But it isn't just the teacher, it's a challenge for every one of us. It isn't about how well we start the race, but if we finish it. Because the Bible doesn't actually provide us with a category where a person began well and demonstrated remarkable feats of faith. But then the experience of life 
the difficulties of, li of difficulties of life get on top of the person, and he, because he feels sorry for himself, allows the doubts take over. Oh no, hang on. There is a category for this. It's just not commended or excused in any how. There's the rocky ground in the parable, parable of the sower. There it describes people who receive the gospel with joy, but only endure for a little while. For when tribulation, persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately fall away. This is no small matter, for prolonged trust is authentic trust. And we serve the God who is worthy of our trust, no matter what life experience we have. For he's the creator. Any life experience we have, he's more than aware of because he determines our steps. He sustains us both in life and in redemption. He is the generous father who knows what his children require and is eager to give. Nothing escapes him, nothing surprises him, and his plan is here for all of us to see. He truly is worthy of our trust, not just today, but forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you um, as we reflect on these things, the truths that we read about you, how you are the creator, how you are very different to all other gods because you're not made by human hands, but rather you bring everything into existence and everything belongs to you because you made it. We thank you as well that we can trust you because nothing is outside of your providence. That you determine the steps of all, whether good or evil. And therefore you're worthy of our trust. And we thank you how this is demonstrated when you bring about the, the men who rise up against your son. And bring about his laying down of his life for the sake of our salvation. And while we reflect on how Hezekiah trusted you, we see how we have got so much more reason to trust you because of this later phase of redemptive history that we live in, how we see your fully published plan. And as we're in union with your son, we can look forward to the inheritance that is already ours as we sit seated with him at your right-hand side. Amen. Well, I mentioned at the start of the sermon that there would be an opportunity to ask questions or make comments in light of the things that we've been thinking about. It could include anything from points of clarification, further implications, or maybe something I've overlooked in the passage just because of time, or further details on any aspects that we've been thinking about.
Yeah, no, good question. Interesting, yes. Let me just repeat it for the sake of the recording. So um, we've got, in chapter 20, Hezekiah prays to obviously live longer and survive his fatal illness. Um, should he not have done that? Should he have just let it go and just died? And then secondly, how should then that help us think about what we should do if we're in difficult situations? Actually, should we just uh, not I guess, pray against them, but rather just run with it? Um, let's see how to approach this. Well, just to mention one thing that the commentator said, I'm not sure this is particularly helpful, but I'll include it anyway. So he made a contrast between Hezekiah's prayer in chapter 19, verse 14 to 19, where it's very God-centered. So you've been mocked, and it's all about um, God re-establishing his reputation. He then goes to uh, chapter 20 and says, there it's all... Oh, woe is me, I've lost my life. Bring my life back. Now, I don't know. I think it's an interesting observation. Um, but I'm, I've got a, a feeling it feels a little bit harsh. I mean, we're going to make a contrast in a moment in our reflection to a prayer that Jesus makes um, where he says, not my will but yours. So that might be a nice tweak of Hezekiah's prayer. But I think in and of himself, I'm not sure I'm not sure how much we want to say this prayer is a bad prayer. The other thing to note is that this is what happened. He's given 15 years. <clears throat> the question now is not should he have asked for those 15 years or not, but what's he going to do with those 15 years? <clears throat> And I think, interestingly, I mean, I wanted to include Carson's comments because I think they are something that have, has in, impacted me uh, in a very big way. I think it's very significant. So I wanted to include them. But notice what he's doing. All he's doing is saying, um, I mean, it, it comes about from the fact that he found himself in a position where he thought he was about to die. And so thinking he was about to die himself... Carson thought back to Hezekiah and thought, well, I don't want to make the mistake of Hezekiah. Actually, death will cut my life short now and I will die with integrity, as it were. Well, you know. Now, interestingly, he went on to live, he survived. It wasn't as serious as once was thought, and he, but he continued on in his integrity. So I think that's the thing to take away from this. Um, so, yeah, to answer your question, I don't think there's anything wrong with praying for us when we're ill, Ill um, or praying for a prolonged life. I think the important thing is being aware that a prolonged life will mean, you know, more trust, which isn't a bad thing. The thing that I think is important is that we appreciate that actually that idea that God deserves our trust, he's worthy of our trust because of who he is and what he's done and that will help us maintain that. 
Yeah. Any other questions, thoughts, or comments? Yes, Hannah. Yeah, good question. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because on the, the first look, you kind of feel a little bit like, what has he really done wrong? So, so just to repeat the question, can we just clarify um, Hezekiah's involvement with the Babylonians and, and kind of what's going on there? I don't know whether I want to tell you this. Uh, I don't know whether you made the connection yourself, but Solomon does something similar with the Queen of Sheba. But obviously, he's not criticised for it. So it must be similar, but different. So the Queen of Sheba comes, and she comes first and foremost to hear about his wisdom, and but involved in that is his prosperity. Um, I guess she comes and then praises God because of it. I guess that's one of the things that maybe is lacking here. So I think what's happening here, I mean, ultimately, ultimately, I just rest on the case that Isaiah <laughs> said it was wrong, so it was wrong. Um, but I think what's going on here is he's saying, um, look at all my wealth, look how rich I am, look at how I've done, and then the Babylonians leave quiet. Whereas when the Queen of Sheba came... He, uh, Solomon said, look at my wisdom. Well, he didn't say look at my wisdom, but he displayed his wisdom. She saw his prosperity, and she then praises the Lord and says, your God must be great. Look at your people. Look at how happy they are. How great your God must be. How wonderful uh, your God must be who's given them such a king to serve over them. So I, th I, I take that that's what's kind of lacking here. Um, it was his pride and his glory not glory to God. Time for more? If not, so everyone's looking down. Normally, when everyone's not got a question, they're all like, "You're all looking at me," but you're all looking. Oh, I think I might have a question. I'm not sure. I think <laughs> there might be one here. And so I'm not going to look up because I don't want to end the question time in case I can think of a question. Or it might just be, "Man, he's in my face today. He's so close. Ah, <laughs> oh, get out my face. What's what's this? Being in my face." <laughs> Right, okay, should we stop there <laughs> before I keep saying anything else? Our next song is King of Kings, Majesty. <laughs> 